Welcome to another episode of Built on Passion. Today, we're sitting down with Austin Roberts, co-founder of Logox. Hey, Austin, so glad to have you on today. So to get started here, can you just give me a brief intro to Logox and what you guys sell? I really appreciate you having me on the podcast today. And it's one of those things where I was thinking about as I was coming into this conversation, talking about like Logox and how we got started and how that's relatable to people. The old Socratic paradox, you know, where Plato asked Socrates, the wisest man in the world, hey, what have you learned through all this? And, and the thing he comes back with is the only thing I know is that I know nothing. And from the wisest man, it's kind of a weird par- it's a Socratic paradox, right? Because it's like the more that you learn and the more that you understand, the more you start to question things around you. And, and that as an entrepreneur is a good thing. The things that work for Gary Vee or for Alex Ramosi or Dan, these guys are going to pop up in your feed when you're learning. It's going to come in the entrepreneurial space. It may work for them and not for you and then, and then vice versa, right? Because everybody comes from their own angle with things. Before I kind of tell the story about it, you know, I kind of put that out there to your listeners with a grain of salt is that this is just my story and, and take it for what you will, but hopefully it can add some value to the conversation and to your listeners who may be thinking about going out in their own business or building their own business or any point in that process. So basically Logox, we are American tools for woodsmen from harvest to hearth. We started off with a an idea for a product that would allow people to pick up log rounds off the ground and put them onto a log splitter without bending over and hurting your back. In fact, it was my dad's idea. I grew up in the woods of Vermont. We split about four or five cords a year. Family, my, me, my mom, my sister, my dad, every fall would go out and harvest firewood. Harvesting our own firewood was a, kind of a big family tradition, something I've always enjoyed. Maybe not so much at the time when I was a little kid, but definitely looking back on it, some, some great times with the family. He had developed this idea because he's a chemical engineer, sort of a tinkerer by nature, and he was able to pick up, to modify a cant hook with this design that allowed it to be able to grab a log every single time, be able to pick it up and put it onto a splitter. But then he added a a handle extension to it, be be able to roll logs, because when you're using a chainsaw to buck up logs, pinch your bar, kind of has an accordion effect. You don't want to run into the ground. And then, so he added that handle to it, and then he's like, well, hey, we could, Timberjack, that's been around for a long time too. Cant hook's been around since 1859, but really hasn't changed at all. So, hey, why we add a T-bar to it and make it a timber jack. We figured out sort of a pin configuration with it and we're able to make this sort of three-part tool, not only super modular, right? You can add and take apart these things with just three pins, but it's also super portable. And that's what what's great about it. So you can fit it into a 30-inch bag, take it with you, put it in your truck, forget about it, along with your chainsaw until you need it, until there's a tree down in your way. Or if you're a professional arborist, you've got it in your truck, it's not taking up space or a utility truck. That's the kind of things that people have really come to appreciate about as we've sold it over the years. But anyway, the kind of origin story about that, how that started, that I was in the military service as an army officer, first in, in the field artillery and then special operations uh, for eight years total. And I was sort of winding that up at the time in the summer of of 2016. My father had invented this thing. He had found a manufacturing partner here in the U.S. Everything we make is made in the, US, made in the United States. Uh, everything we sell is made in the United States. And so we found a, a great partner in Missouri. So he was kind of in, in the initial phases of, of getting a product made. He got from prototyping to actual production. So he, he pretty much had a production-ready tool. And I was helping them out sort of on the side, working with them on their social media and their website and stuff like that, just kind of part-time because I was interested in it. So that summer, I had made the decision about a year prior that it was kind of either stay in or get out. My wife was uh, finishing up her, her medical school. We were finally, after eight years of long distance dating from when we met in college to when I was in the army all over the world, we're going to finally get married in 2015 and then and be together. So I decided, hey, time to cut sling load and, and move on with that. So I was getting out of the military without a, a great plan in mind, got recruited for some nice federal consulting, federal contracting overseas, making a lot of money doing that. 
But that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to finally be with my wife, start a family and all that good stuff. So, and around that same time, the summer of 2016, he was a, you know, a C-suite level executive, big corporate layoff happens. It was a company that was owned by a foreign country or a foreign company. And now he's out of a job too. It came in time where sort of he and I were both kind of looking into what we were going to do to pivot into the next thing in our careers just happened to be at the same time. And, you know, in December rolled around, I finally got out of the military. I was like, hey, let me, let's, let's give this a shot. Like, let me dig a little deeper here. We'll start like working on this. We're still looking for other jobs, to be completely honest with you. It wasn't just like, all right, two feet in, let's, let's jump. We started working on that together and, and put and it became for me pretty much almost immediately a full-time job because I, I really found I had a passion for it. This whole pocket built on passion. And it was, like I said, it was that sort of that familiar experience with working in the woods, grew up doing it, really liked the product, really believed in the product after I used it myself because I came over to the house and I'm like, dad, show me this, this product. I, what, this is the really thing really have what it takes to be a great product. And, you know, we used it. We went out and, and used Use the thing. And I was like, man, this thing is awesome. I wish I had this when we were growing up. You know, I would have loved to have used this thing, you know, for moving it from point A to point B, for loading a log splitter. We found out later when we had a, the University of Fairfield study on the thing, when the, the engineering students took it and they looked at it and they were able to prove using the machine or the ESG machines they had there, a 93% reduction in back strain using this tool because you're not bending over and picking it up, a 76% reduction in arm strain and 89% reduction in leg strain moving from point A to point B. We were able to then kind of scientifically prove that later on down the road when we did that study. But anyway, I sold myself on it first. I really believed in this thing. And so winter of a winter and into early spring of 2017, just really started hammering, trying to figure out how we were going to market this thing. We had no money. We were we totally bootstrapped this entire thing. I had some money set aside that I'd saved. They had some we kind of kept ourselves going that way and self-financed. I'm glad that we did that looking back because that's the way you keep equity in your business is to be able to do that if you can. In any case, yeah. So that's to sort of wrap the initial stages of this up. We worked through the summer. We got our manufacturing partners to believe and we went actually drove out there. We did, I think, March or so. My dad, I just took a road trip and we went to Layman's Hardware in Kidron, Ohio, which is a you know a really incredible place. It's it's sort of like the simple living mecca of the world. It's it's awesome. It's right there in the middle of Amish country. I really recommend checking that out. Showed them our product. They loved it. Went to a couple of other other places along the way, learned some things, but had our, sort of our first buyer there. Then we went out to our manufacturing partners in Missouri and met with them and sold them kind of on our, our dream and our vision for this thing. And it helped that we already had kind of a purchase order as we drove our way out there. And it was at that point we're like, hey, you know, this really is a viable business here. We believed in that. And then around that time, we started going to shows. And then we would go to these we did home setting shows, people who are cutting their own firewood, some people living off grid, living more simply, whole variety, like Mother Earth News shows, stuff like that, Homesteaders of America, where the first Homesteaders of America conference, which we're now a sponsor of. And it was sort of like, it was sort of at that point in fall of 2017 that we stopped looking for other, anything else, other work, doing this full time. So basically you guys built a single product tool and basically built the entire company around it. Yeah. And so from there, we spread out, we came up with two other designs of our own, which is the Woodock Sling Firewood Carrier which goes across your body. And it's sort of almost like if you picture a cross between a messenger bag, it's something between an arm sling and a messenger bag, kind of how I describe it. Because basically the uh, sling goes across your body and it, it supports the weight on your shoulder. And then you put your arm through the sling itself. And then you put the fire, it allows you to do is put the firewood between your body and your arm and sort of this U-shaped configuration sling underneath your arm. And you're able to grab firewood right off the pile and put it under your arm, and then it kind of locks it in place. The wood of the, the the weight of the wood locks it in place, and so all the weight that usually when you're just filling up a bag or filling up your arms, 
is kind of off to your side awkwardly. Well, now that's dispersed across your entire body and it's sort of resting comfortably on your hip. It's just when you see it, you're like, man, why not think of that? Fortunately, we patented it. And, uh, <laughs> and so we're, like our, our other two products. Um, but it's, it's, it's super simple. There's nothing else that's like that. It's the most ergonomic firewood carrier that's on the market by far. And so we designed that. And then we designed a thing called the hearth pin, which is a, a, a again, it's just super simple, but nothing else was out there like this it is a adjustable side panel firewood carrier or firewood holder that you put on your hearth because my folks have sort of a narrow eight, nine inch bluestone hearth. Right. And so my dad didn't have all the other firewood racks and doors are kind of like fixed dimensional. Right. None of them were like sort of fitting on it. So you'd have to like put it on the carpet. And so he's like, well, if I just adjusted it so that the wings could go vertically and go outward, you can still put a ton of firewood in there. And it could be if you didn't have a hearth, you could be freestanding next to your in-house stove. So anyway, so that's where the kind of the, the harvest to hearth idea that trademarked as a slogan came from is that basically we created what we believe is the best firewood hand tool that's out that is ergonomically designed, that's designed to make your work faster, safer, and easier, and make that process a lot more fun, a lot more fast. Basically doing the same process for bringing it indoors, because we followed our own path, our own trajectory of bringing it indoors, that we know the life cycle of firewood because we live it year in and year out, because now you've got to stack it. Okay, you stacked it, right? And then now you've got to bring it indoors. And that's a daily chore. And again, I wasn't there. So we joke that our company is based on John finding ideas to solve problems that now that myself and my sister aren't there anymore, he has to do himself. So, um, <laughs> so and it's, it's to make John's life easier. Everything we do is to make John Lynn's life we, and then, you know, then the next thing is, okay, we got it indoors. Now, what do you do with it? You got to sort of parse it near your fireplace. You've got to do something with it. So that's where the hearth bin came. And so now within that niche, okay, now we have, we've built a brand that people are more and more recognizing. And so within that brand, how do we bring in other American made, high quality, innovative products that fills in the gaps? Either we invent our own stuff that's going to be useful and innovative, and we market that. We've got a lot of stuff in the pipeline that we're doing that with right now. Or we're bringing on companies, and I hope I don't forget any of them, but you know, we're bringing companies like Swisher, who are our manufacturing partners, making awesome log splitters, trail cutters, so you can get out to your woodlot. you got companies like Big Tool Rack and Saw Hall, so you can get your gear, your chainsaw out to your woodlot safely and also all firewood in. We've got other companies like we did a collaboration with LT Wright Bushcraft Knives because it's great to have a, a solid bushcraft uh, knife out there and out in the woods with you, which is uh, a Genesis knife that we're working on our, our second iteration of now. And so we are continuing to build that out. And the overarching principle behind that is that it's all made in the United States. So we want to support American manufacturing. We want to bring, we want to onshore that, we want to bring that back home. Okay. All super high quality stuff. We don't compete on price. We'll let the Alibabas and the Amazons of the world do that, but it's going to be high quality, long lasting. Our three main products are guaranteed for life. Products, whether it's our own stuff and, and like Granberg sawmills, that's, that's the other thing too, is that we've, we've expanded. I knew I was going to forget one. <laughs> Granberg and Hudson sawmills, right? Where because we realized that, hey, our pool is a great camp hook because of the way it's designed, because of how sharp the hook is and the toe and the way those two interact. It really grips into a log and, and rolls a lot better than the other can hooks that are on the market. Plus, it's compact. So when you're going a portable can hook to go with your portable sawmill, we found a lot of people who really liked it, who were, who were sawyers. 
I would get a tremendous feedback from that space. And then from companies like Granberg, who now sell our products on their website. So there's a reciprocity there. But we now sell our products on on over two dozen websites. So we've got a full list of on, on our own website in case you have any gift cards around like Lowe's and Home Depot, Cabela's, and Bass Pro, and we're also on Amazon too. And we're all over them. So we've kind of expanded. That's been our business model is just is start with the basics, assess a problem that we had, an area that we knew a lot about, and then from there, build out solutions for that. It helps having people on your team who have skill sets, have, have skill sets like John, who's a, an engineer and is very familiar with the R&D process. He had a half dozen patents to his name, but obviously different chemical engineer and then Micah Paper, totally unrelated, but he knew about the R&D process. So that's been invaluable. I came from doing a lot of strategic communication stuff in the in the military, and I was able to sort of transition that over into the marketing side of things. And I saw I've been able to, to get up to speed on that. But yeah, so that's been our trajectory with that. It's funny because this is basically, I've read a couple of books about this. They're escaping me at the moment. But this is basically the roadmap for success for most product-based companies, which is having a very defined target market building a very good product, and then following the path. Like you said, you guys have Harvest to Hearth. You guys basically said, what else does this person need and built more products? And obviously for some people listening, they might be like, oh, what would that be for what I'm thinking about? But I mean, you guys built a, a sling to carry in firewood and a place to put it once you get, in, to get inside. And it's literally the whole life cycle. And then now you're expanding from there. It's very interesting that you guys have basically done it like almost like by the book of how to build a successful product company in that way. I'd say there's one of the truisms that's out there. Everybody's probably heard is leaders are readers. We used to hear that in the army as, as officers all the time. There's always commanders reading lists of different things and lifetime learners. I don't have a, a business background. I was a government major in college and then a, an army officer after that. So I didn't really have a business background, but I kind of always approached things sort of entrepreneurially. I was what they call a fire support officer uh, when I was in Afghanistan with the 10th Mountain Division. And one of my, I joke is kind of my side hustles because I was in a rifle company, but I was an artillery and a rifle company. One of my side jobs was, yeah, I was in charge of the company intelligence support team. And then I was also in charge of the, uh, the sort of the reconstruction projects. So we would go into an area, would, something would, one of the roads would get blown up by an IED, so we had to fix that, or hey, we assessed that there are different projects, humanitarian aid projects and things like that in this area that we could help ingratiate ourselves to the locals with, so things along that line. We were operating in a pretty kinetic environment back in 2010, 2011 in RC North. Even though it was kind of a kinetic environment, our job was to, was to put steel on steel, and that was that was kind of what we were doing on a daily basis. I really kind of embraced the, the other side of that, which were they called non-lethal effects, which I had never heard of until I got in the country, but I sort of looked at it as kind of like an entrepreneur, as like, okay, well, this is my, this is sort of the ecosystem. The Afghans, the people who are in this area are my customers. And what is it that they need? Like, or what is it that, that I can possibly provide working with whoever the, the local government is to help them in some way, not just handing out freebies here, but to help them to develop, how can we develop leaders who are then going to perpetuate that? You know, because really the test of a leader is, can you grow other leaders that are going to go out there and do great stuff and then grow outward? So I really, you know, as a young lieutenant in Afghanistan, my first deployment, like kind of I sort of embraced that. And I always sort of enjoyed that and sort of took that that mentality with me. As a result, we were able to get a lot of projects done and had some some really great feedback that I wasn't expecting, our battalion wasn't expecting, just because we took the the role of, okay, well, we're in this, we're operating in this community on a day-to-day basis. We want to be good citizens in this community. We want to work with the people who are here and provide a viable alternative to the Taliban and the terrorists who are operating in and around this place, which is really what a kind of counterinsurgency model is. So before I go off on too much of a tangent there, my point is, is that I looked at, so when I first came into this problem set and and being an entrepreneur, I was like, okay, what don't I know? What should I get savvy on? 
Let me learn about accounting. Let me learn how to read a balance sheet. What does my cash flow look like? And John, fortunately, I had people on my team. You know, John, again, he's a C-suite guy. He understands all this. I got a lot of mentorship from him, but learning various different things. And I would encourage people, there's so much stuff that's out there for free. You don't have to take someone's $5,000 course. You really don't. There's Khan Academy, Skillshare, Udemy, YouTube. There's all sorts of different information out there about learning the non-sexy basics that when you first get started off, kind of getting those things into place and getting that right, that sets up a foundation kind of going forward that is going to be invaluable to you because then you can build off it. You, you can't build a house on a, on a weak foundation. So it's the same thing like building a business. You know, it's like, what? why are you there? What's your reason for being you know, like as a company? You got to kind of establish that early on. And if you do, then that'll pay off you later. I think that's a big lesson that a lot of people could benefit from. It sometimes is appealing to kind of skip some steps and kind of go to where you think you want to end up. But, you know, there's plenty of businesses that are in the e-com space or in other spaces too, that, you know, they get to $500,000 a year, a million dollars a year. And then two years later, they're not because they don't have the fundamentals built in. Uh, And so it's so important to build things from the ground up and kind of look at the whole picture. Yeah. And part of building that, you know, the other truism is your network is your net worth. And that gets thrown around a lot. But I'd say that your customers are the, the most important people in that network and will be the company that forgets that. So when we, over the past year, basically went back to the drawing board on our, our main tool, our, our Logox 3-in-1 forestry multi-tool. And I always say that no such thing as bad feedback. I'll take snarky YouTube comments all day. If it points to something, hey, did we not think of that? Some of the negative feedback, some of the other things that we're learning, that you know, continue to work with your product, continue to use it, be your own best customer. We also found as we were working with this, we found five areas that could be improved with simple tweaks. We found we could have a wider grip because, hey, if you got a bigger hands or you're wearing heavy gloves, that cross-handle grip had an extra half an inch. Now that solves that problem. Okay. Wanted some more leverage on it. Let's figure out how far we can extend that handle before we start to have any kind of structural deficiencies with the leverage that that causes because we're we're within physical constraints, right? So let's add some length to the leverage. We totally redesigned the timber jack. We actually, it's now patent pending because we redesigned it so much. It's called, we call it the Bigfoot timber jack. And that came out of a comment where someone's like, man, this sinks into the ground. It's like, okay, okay, it does sink into the ground. But then we started thinking, okay, well, if we had more space, if we change the design, if we add it, it almost looks like kind of like a ski tip now. If you take a look at it online, if we add more surface area, three and a half times more surface area than we had going before, that's going to make it more stable. It's going to allow us to drag logs, which is useful as well as when you're, say you're a utility company working on the pavement. That's when you really want to not hit your your chain in the dirt when you're working on pavement. So with that design, we're able to pick that up off the ground. Then, you know, the can hook, we've gotten feedback from people. There's a good example of this, right? Where it's like, oh, I, I ding my hook with my chainsaw. But if you think about it, hey, sometimes it's rainy out. You're in bad conditions. It's low light conditions. If the, our hook was black, and when you contrast that with a log, you sort of like look at that. You're like, you could do that. If you have the empathy to your customer and get their feedback, and you take that with a bit of humility, say, hey, look, well, how can we change this? Well, let's just make it orange. Boom. The whole thing is now orange. Simple fix. We just changed the paint color. Didn't cost us anything, but now we've got it so that that's a lot safer to use. And then finally, we changed up pin design. It was a two-part clevis pin, the hairpin thing. And for the longest time, we tried to find different types of pins and, and whatever else and, and nothing really kind of worked. But then we found this pin that's designed to wrap around pipes, which is basically where our thing is, is cold roll steel pipes. We found this kind of esoteric little pin thing. And we're like, let's use that. We got the prototype made. We tested it all on ourselves. We sent it out to other professionals and people we've worked with in the past. They tested it out. 
gave us great feedback. Influencers on YouTube, you take Logox on YouTube, you're going to find a million different videos. We never pay for, hey, we'll pay you X amount to do a video. Our deal has always been since the first video that got like 400,000 views in 48 hours in 2017, which really launched our Christmas season from a, a channel called Life in Farmland, who did an amazing video. It's like, hey, here's a product. It's unique. It's useful. We think you'll love it. We think your viewers will find it interesting. Would you test it out? And if you like it, show it on your channel, do a video. If you don't, let us know how you can make it better. No one's ever taken us up on the latter option of that. And by doing that, you get all this feedback. Eric, the guy from that video, came up with a different sort of release technique that we never, so we kind of like swing the log and push it and pull it. And then it's flying into your pile. We had always been sort of picking up the hook with our hand. It's that cust it's that feedback from this broad network. And you get kind of the network effect you hear a lot about in the entrepreneurial world, but you get all that kind of feedback. And if you can take that and again, have empathy for your, your customers and what they're going through and humility to take that feedback and put it into your R&D process, your product is going to continue to improve is one of the, the fun and interesting things of being an entrepreneur and controlling your own destiny in that way is that you are in charge of your, your you're the captain of your own ship. And a big part of that is improving to try to meet your customers' expectations. Yeah, for sure. I remember when we first scheduled this call, I had seen on your website that you guys had made the update to your three-in-one tool that you're talking about here. I mean, it was probably a, a four or five page blog post with a 10 minute video kind of explaining the whole thing. And it made me want to buy it. I don't really even need this thing, right? And it's like, wow, these guys care about their customers so much that they have spelled out every single piece of feedback and how that's translated into the new version. And so many companies will just say, okay, this is version 2.0, it's better, but they don't actually kind of spell it out the way that you do. So I think that it would be really useful for people to see how you guys actually implemented that because you do, you go through every piece of feedback that you got and how it changed the product. And it really shows kind of the quality you guys want to put into the product as well. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that kind of comes from being within the space yourself and using these tools, using these products yourself and wanting to improve it both for your customers and also selfishly for your own use, right? And I think you can tell the difference between companies whose decisions are made in a boardroom somewhere versus people who are really in and they speak that language and they're in that field and love being in that field and have a passion about it and are continuing to innovate based on what they're seeing and based on things that are going to make the product better and make it a better experience for their customers. Yeah, absolutely. I will say here, before we wrap this up, I want to give you a chance to kind of plug the company and tell people how to find you and all that. Yeah, you can learn more about us at thelogox.com. Somebody already grabbed logox.com or something. I think it's like a... <laughs> but ours is ours is thelogox, T-H-E, logox.com. And our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever handle is, uh, is at bigbluelogox. And you guys can find us there and on YouTube as well. And I think Pinterest, we might still be on Tumblr somewhere. <laughs> if, if it's still know. there, you never know. <laughs> if that's still a thing, I don't know. All right. Well, thank you so much, Austin. It was great talking to you today. Yeah, absolutely. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Built on Passion podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are still listening right now, you need to leave a review. Like seriously, if you are committed enough to listen to the outro, then you must be a fan and we would love to hear your thoughts. Be sure to share this episode with a friend who's thinking about starting a passion project business. And as always, tune in next week for another episode.